Before we start this episode, we have a quick message from our sponsors. If you're studying for the Foreign Service Officer Test like us, we have a great study tool for you. Besides listening to our podcast, we also use FSO Compass. On FSO Compass, you can find practice tests for every section, comprehensive courses that guide you through the entire application process, and you can even connect with other aspiring U.S. diplomats. The resources have really helped us prepare, and we hope they help you too. To access FSO Compass and get 10% off your annual subscription, be sure to use the link in our description box. Good luck! Hi everybody, and welcome back to another episode of How Did We Not Know That? My name's Jack. I'm Nat. And today, Nat is going to be talking about the Monroe Doctrine. Yeah, yeah, the Monroe Doctrine. I'm super excited because, okay, so the two of us are studying for the Foreign Service Officer Test, but, like, we really we really don't talk about it as often, but um, you can't talk about the history of U.S. foreign policy without talking about the Monroe Doctrine because it's arguably, like, the most influential piece of U.S. foreign policy in our history. So I'm super excited to talk about it. We're going to start off by flashing back to the early 1820s. And at this time, uh, several Latin American countries had won their independence from either Spain or Portugal. So in 1812, the US had recognized the new nations of Chile, Argentina, Mexico, and Peru. But both the US and Britain were worried that like other European nations were gonna come in and colonize these countries later in the future. And they were especially worried about Russia because in 1821, Russian Tsar Alexander I had claimed sovereignty over territory in the Pacific Northwest. So that ranged from like Alaska to the Oregon Territory. And he banned foreign ships from approaching the coast. And America was like, um, what the heck? And so they were like really worried that all these European nations were going to come and grab all this territory that the U.S. was trying to grab, right? And so President James Monroe, he's president at the time, and he is scared of foreign intervention in the Americas. And he wanted to create a joint U.S.-British resolution that would ban further colonization in Latin America by other European powers. But Secretary of State John Quincy Adams he, he goes to President Monroe and he's like, hey, let's ditch Britain because it would actually limit future opportunities for the U.S. to expand its territory if we collaborated with Britain. And then also, like, Britain might decide to colonize these territories or these countries in the region. And so John Quincy Adams, he's, like, really focused on trade in Latin America, South America, and he thought that like European trade was the greatest obstacle in the U.S.'s uh, economic expansion. And so he didn't want anything to do with Britain. And so he convinces President Monroe to draft a statement of unilateral U.S. policy that would establish the U.S. as the protector of the entire Western Hemisphere. So <laughs> on December 2nd, 1823, President Monroe gives his annual speech to Congress 
And in it, he explains the idea of what would later be known as the Monroe Doctrine, even though it was actually like mostly written by John Quincy Adams. And it's only a few paragraphs in his entire speech, but it's so significant. Like it has a lasting effect that we still see today. And so in a nutshell, the Monroe Doctrine states that the U.S. is the protector of the entire Western Hemisphere and nobody else can touch it. And there are three main concepts in his speech. So the first is that the old world and the new world were different and should be two distinct uh, spheres of influence. So remember, like, when the pilgrims went to America and they're like, oh, this is the new world. Old world is, like, all the European countries. So they're like, okay, we're different. Let's not bother each other. The second uh, concept is that European powers couldn't colonize Latin America. And the third is the concept of non-interference. And so any attempt by a European power to exert its influence in the Western Hemisphere would be seen as a threat to U.S. security. And so in turn, the U.S. wouldn't interfere in the political affairs of Europe or with existing European colonies in the Western Hemisphere. So does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. So when we, it, when you, like, the Monroe Doctrine, is it just we're signing it or do we have to get Europe to sign it too? We're like literally no one's even signing it. That's the thing is oh. he's just saying it. He's literally just like he gives a speech and he's like, hey, this is this is a thing now. Like the US, we're the protector of the Western Hemisphere. And if Europe tries to come in, like that's going to be a threat to us. And so we're going to fight you. <laughs> OK, so no one acknowledged it. Just like president yeah. said it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, he's like, he just declared it, like, (laughs) which, yeah, so obviously, like, this is pretty insane, because at the time, the U.S. is, like, a really young country, and it's a very minor player on the world stage, and also, it has, like, no military or naval power to back this up, like, he's just... He's just saying it, but... Yeah, because this is 1812, right? Is that what you said? Oh, sorry. No, 1823. Okay. So this is after the War of 1812, so I think we were kind of feeling cocky at the time. Oh, (laughs) yeah. For no good reason, because if you watched (laughs) War of 1812, you know how that went down. Yeah, it wasn't anything to be, like, super proud of. Yeah. But yeah, and so we were, like, feeling really good about ourselves. But yeah, the rest of the world pretty much ignores President Monroe, and they're like, okay, cool, whatever. Um, No one takes it seriously. Question two, I mean, how would everyone else acknowledge it because he gives this speech, but then did they distribute it to everyone else? Did they send messengers? (laughs) Or is it just you said this to some people and no one else knows about it? I don't know, like, maybe, like, newspapers reported on it and then, like, word got sent to other countries but yeah I really don't know <laughs> you can't just like live stream it like watch yeah. it on Facebook like can you imagine it's like a game of telephone right if you're trying to like <laughs> spread the news and then by the time it gets to like Chile they're like who yeah. who's protecting us <laughs> they're like wait those guys really okay good luck <laughs> is that a nation aren't they yeah. British like, wait, I am didn't even... Canada just burn down their white house or something <laughs> like I thought they were donezo like what the <laughs> Yeah, but, okay, so then, like, in 1833, 
British forces occupy the Falkland Islands off the coast of Argentina. I know about this, yeah. We read the book. I really want to visit the Falkland Islands. Very interesting history. But yeah, so British forces occupy the islands, and it's off the coast of Argentina. So it's technically in the U.S.'s uh, sphere of influence. But the U.S. decides not to invoke the doctrine, probably because they don't actually have like the military power to stop them. So Britain comes and they take over the islands and the U.S. does nothing. And so people are like, okay, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, great job. Uh, however, as time passes and the U.S.'s military and economic strength grows, it actually starts to follow through with the Monroe Doctrine. So the first example of this is in 1867. So this is right after the Civil War ended in 1865. And the U.S. has a lot more military power because of the Civil War, right? And so at the time, Mexico is being ruled by Emperor Maximilian, who had been put into power by the French government because Mexico owed France a lot of debt. So they're like, okay, we're going to put this guy in charge of you. And the U.S., they don't like that France has so much influence in their neighboring country's politics. And so they decide to provide military and diplomatic support to Benito Juarez, who is the president of the Mexican Republic. And Emperor Maximilian is executed on the orders of Benito Juarez. So that's like a big deal that, yeah, we, we supported that and helped make that happen. It, not only does that like solidify our commitment to the Monroe Doctrine, but it shows that, hey, we actually have the power to follow through with this uh, declaration. Yeah. I'm always confused on the U.S.'s relation with France. Like, I yeah. I need a timeline of do we like them, do we not like them, because we're allies at one point <laughs> for the American Revolution, and yeah. now we're not. Now we're trying to make sure that they don't expand territory. It's Yeah, you know what? I think, like, the root of the problem isn't, like, whether or not we like France right now. It's just, like, we don't want them to have influence, like, in Mexico's politics, just because we want the whole hemisphere to <laughs> to ourselves. We're not being uh, greedy at all. We're like, yeah, you know. it's not about them. It's like, it's not it's, you, it's me. It's like, not you, it's me. It's like, not that we don't like you. Yeah, it's just we <laughs> want all of this to ourselves. Shout out to our French viewers. But yeah, so after this, the U.S. is propelled by Manifest Destiny, and it continues to expand its influence all around the world. So we see America is acquiring a bunch of overseas territory um, from the Spanish-American War, which we'll cover soon, hopefully. <laughs> and then also in the Pacific Islands. And this helps solidify the U.S.'s role as a world power. And it also gives like the necessary strength, again, to back up this doctrine. So we're just like acquiring land and we're like, yes, we are <laughs> like it, we are a major world player. And like what the big changing point um, is in 1904 when European creditors were threatening to send in armed forces to Latin American countries who hadn't paid back their debt yet. So President Theodore Roosevelt, he steps in and he sends U.S. Marines to Nicaragua, Haiti, and the Dominican Republic in order to ward off these European creditors. And he says, quote, in the Western Hemisphere, the adherence of the United States to the Monroe Doctrine may force the United States However reluctantly, in, a flagra in flagrant cases of such wrongdoing or impotence, 
to the exercise of an international police power, unquote. I was going to say, that's really interesting because I've been, like, doing some research on the Haiti Revolution, and so with Haiti's revolution and them owing debts to France, which were ridiculous, we'll talk about it in another episode, but it's interesting that the Monroe Doctrine had them maybe defend, like, Haiti and these, like, other Central American countries when a lot of these countries were refusing to do trade with Haiti because of that revolution. Thoughts on that? That's interesting. Yeah, okay, honestly, I don't know too much about the Haiti Haitian revolution, so I'm really excited to learn more about that in a future episode. Just, like, overall with this whole, like, oh, you can't colonize Latin America, like, I... Not to be, like, super cynical, but I don't think it's, like, out of, like, reasons of, like, oh, we have a pure heart. Like, we don't want you to be colonized. I think it's just we don't want <laughs> European powers influence in our quote-unquote backyard. So I wonder mm-hmm. if that has to do with um, our relation with Haiti, too. It's like, yeah, we're not going to let these debtors come in, but not because we're, like... Not cause yeah, not because we like you guys, <laughs> yeah. but it's... <laughs> just because we don't want them having power near us. Mm-hmm. But, like, regardless, Theodore Roosevelt literally says we're the international police power of the Western Hemisphere, which is a huge deal, and his whole uh, foreign policy theory, I guess, would later be known as the big stick policy because he has this famous slogan towards foreign policy, speak softly and carry a big stick, you will go far. So (laughs) this basically means that, like, hey, let's focus on negotiation and cooperation, but also, like, don't forget, we have all this military power and we're really not afraid to use it against you if we need to. So that's kind of what the big stick policy is. And actually, like, in his speech, he tells the audience, Remember, the Monroe Doctrine will be respected as long as we have a first-class Navy. So he's really, like, adamant. Like, President Roosevelt is really adamant about expanding U.S. influence all around the world. And, yeah, expanding the interpretation of the Monroe Doctrine. It's kind of, like, it's really shaped what our foreign policy strategy looks like today. So we kind of see similar thoughts um, and theories today. But, like, this is really crazy at the time because if you think about other empires at the time, like the Spanish Empire, French, British Empire, like, their whole theory has kind of just been to, like, send a bunch of ships and, like, military power and just, like, go to war with, like, all these territories. But then Roosevelt comes in and he's like, okay, yeah, we could send in military power, but it's more about, like, scaring people and, like, threatening you through, like, negotiation. So it's, I don't know, I just thought it's really interesting because it's a pretty big change. Yeah, so obviously Roosevelt expands the interpretation of the Monroe Doctrine and it basically justifies military interventions in Latin America and the Caribbean. So then if we flash forward to President Franklin D. Roosevelt, he replaces the big stick policy with the good neighbor policy. And this focuses on cooperation and trade rather than military force in order to improve relations with Latin American countries. And so, for example, the Organization for American States is created in order to strengthen cooperation in the Western Hemisphere, and it still exists today, which is cool. Uh, But this does not stop future leaders from using the Monroe Doctrine in order to justify military interventions in the Western Hemisphere. So President John F. Kennedy actually invoked the Monroe Doctrine 
during the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962 when he ordered an air and naval quarantine of Cuba after the Soviet Union started building missile launching sites there. And so that's a big deal because, again, like, if you think about it, like, the U.S. really doesn't have the right (laughs) to, like, go send... Um, I guess forces there and like police things but because of this Monroe Doctrine like it really establishes our foreign policy strategy and our role our perceived role in the region and because we send these troops to Cuba um, and have this quarantine there which basically means like we like blockade it and we're like hey no one can come in or out so after several days of this the soviet union begins to dismantle it, its sites and withdraw its missiles so it's effective it works after this after uh jfk and the cuban missile crisis you rarely hear presidents explicitly use the word monroe doctrine to justify their foreign policy decision making but like, even if they're not saying it out loud, the Monroe Doctrine's history and its legacy nonetheless influence their opinions and their perspective of America's role in the region. Do you know, like, what the most recent use of the Monroe Doctrine has been? Maybe, like, an example? Well, that's the thing is, like, presidents don't really, like, they don't really use the Monroe Doctrine explicitly to justify, like, what their decision making. Um, And they don't really say, like, oh, I'm going to use the Monroe Doctrine. Because, again, it's just a declaration. Like, mm-hmm. it's not really a treaty. So I think JFK was, like, the last one to say, like, talk about the Monroe Doctrine and be like, this gives us the right and the power to intervene in Cuba's affairs Mm -hmm. yeah but that doesn't mean that like like the U.S. has a very long history of intervening in the regional affairs of Latin America each president kind of interprets it differently but again like you no one really says the word Monroe Doctrine anymore let's just go right into it so yeah so the history of U.S. influence in Latin America is very controversial and pretty polarizing but I believe that all Americans should be aware of all of our country's history, not just the fun stuff. So I'm going to attempt to give a very, very brief and unbiased overview of the modern history of U.S. influence in the region. And yeah, I'm just going to be presenting facts. So let's start with President Reagan. Um, So President Ronald Reagan sent military aid to El Salvador during his administration. So in the 1980s, a civil war broke out in the country and the U.S. government sent billions of dollars worth of economic and military aid in order to support the Salvadoran government so they could defeat the leftist forces that were trying to overthrow the government. They wanted the government to remain in power. They didn't want them to be overthrown. And 75,000 people died in this conflict. When you say leftist, what does that mean? Politically left, so... People label them as, like, either socialist or communist. Okay. Yeah. Probably one of the most well-known events in President Reagan's foreign policy career was the U.S.'s involvement in Nicaragua in what would later be known as the Iran-Contra affair. So have you heard of this before? No. So, actually, the Iran-Contra affair is especially controversial. And, of course, just a reminder, Jack and I are trying to create an apolitical and unbiased environment when we discuss these historical events. So I'm just going to give a very brief overview of facts only. So, (laughs) in Nicaragua, there are anti- 
communist Contras that are battling the communist government. It's the communist Sandinista government. So it's communist versus anti-communist, like a theme we see a lot through history. And so President Reagan supported the Contras, the anti-communist Contras, and he argued that they were the, quote, moral equivalent of the founding fathers, unquote. And at the time, the Contras received much of their funding from drug trafficking. So across the world in Lebanon, seven Americans were being held hostage by Iranian-backed terrorists from the group Hezbollah. Sorry, this is, like there's so many countries involved in this thing, so I, it's very confusing, and that's why I think a lot of Americans like maybe don't understand it fully. And so, yeah, they're in Lebanon, but they're held by Iranian terrorists. And so Iran actually wanted to buy weapons from the U.S. because at this time they're at war with Iraq, so they need weapons for their war. But the U.S. has a trade embargo against Iran, which means they can't do trade with them. Some national security leaders to President Reagan suggested that an arms deal with Iran would lead to the release of the American hostages in Lebanon and would also improve relations with Lebanon. And furthermore, the funds that the U.S. would receive from this arms deal could be used to support the Contras in Nicaragua. But Congress had just passed legislation that limited the power of the CIA and the Department of Defense in international conflicts, so the CIA would have to funnel this money to Nicaragua secretly. And so there are debates over who knew what was happening, especially whether or not President Reagan knew about the secret funds being sent to Nicaragua. Um, and so I, that's where I'm just going to leave it at that. You could do further research. That's, uh, for me. Uh, that's really hard to follow. I think I need like a whiteboard drawing. I know. It's really like, I wish I could have a, yeah, a whiteboard because there's so many when we different get things. enough income we will put it into getting animators to oh my <laughs> god yeah it's the next step oh that'd be so great oh exciting but yeah yeah no that's like confusing to me basically like to i guess to summarize in one sentence like f- the money that was received from this trade deal with iran who was kind of like an enemy at the time was used to support rebel forces in Nicaragua, but that had to be done in secretly because it was not technically legal. So that we supported, we didn't support rebel groups in Iran, but we supported rebel groups in Nicaragua. In Nicaragua, And why did we support the rebel groups in Nicaragua? Because they they were were anti-communist and the current government was communist. There it goes, there it goes. (laughs) Yeah, so Lebanon, hold up, why do we, why are we even in Lebanon? Why do we have American soldiers that were captive in Lebanon? Uh, I think if four of them were diplomats and then three of them were, like, contractors, so they were out there, like, working, building stuff. Oh, and then they just got taken captive or hostage? Yeah, so they're in Lebanon chilling, but then this Iranian-backed, like, this Iranian terrorist group, Hezbollah, they come, they're, like, in Lebanon, and they're like, oh, you're Americans, like, we're taking you hostage. Okay. So it's super complex. Yeah, I don't even, the Middle East conflict, Iran and Iraq, they're in conflict. I don't know what that's about. Yeah. Yeah, we, we could do a whole season just about the Middle East. Like, honestly, like, it has a very complex history. But that's, (laughs) that is a brief summary of the Iran-Contra affair. Uh, Like, despite all this controversy, like, the fact is that 
the U.S. saw themselves as a police power and as a regional watchdog in Latin America. They, like, saw themselves as, like, having the power to interfere in Nicaragua's affairs, right? And, like, even if no one ever said anything about the Monroe Doctrine, like, the legacy and the history of our foreign policy in Latin America is, like, rooted in the Monroe Doctrine. So that's why, like, it's significant. Um, And then finally, like, the last event I want to talk about um, is on December 20th, 1989, when President George H.W. Bush decided to invade Panama in order to oust the country's military dictator. His name was Manuel Noriega, and he had been indicted in the U.S. on drug trafficking charges. So we literally were like, hey, we want to arrest you, (laughs) even though he's like, um, he's like a country's leader. We're like, you're in charge of sending drugs um, in and out of Panama, and so we're going to arrest you. The U.S. sent 9,000 troops to meet up with the 12,000 troops that were already stationed in Panama, and they kind of, like, blockaded uh, Noriega, and he, yeah, eventually he surrendered, and he was arrested, and then he was, like, sent back to the U.S., and he was sentenced to 40 years in U.S. federal prison. Yeah, so I'm just going to wrap up, but... The Monroe Doctrine has a very complicated legacy, and it's easy to see how much its interpretation has changed since it was created in the 1800s. At first, it was supposed to prevent European powers from interfering in the Western Hemisphere, but over time, it would be used to support U.S. intervention in the affairs of Latin American countries. So regardless of whether or not you support the Monroe Doctrine or its interpretation, Most people agree that it's one of the most influential policies in U.S. history, and it's had a huge effect in shaping our foreign policy strategy and, like, what the world looks like today. And it's just so crazy to see how a few paragraphs in a speech given in the 1800s has significantly changed America's role on the world stage and in the region. So, yeah, that's basically the Monroe Doctrine it's wild and it's so important, especially for people who are looking uh, to take the foreign service officer test or are interested in the history of U.S. foreign policy. Like, this is so significant. So, yeah. Great. Yeah. Thank you, Nat, for breaking that down for us. Really enjoyed it. Yay. It was fun to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> This has been an episode of How Did We Not Know That? If you liked it, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also follow us on all social media, including YouTube, at How Did We Not Know That? If you thought our podcast was low quality, we know. We thought so, too. Help us improve the podcast by contributing to our Patreon. Thank you for listening, and see you guys next week.